chapter 5, says this, And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, of withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity for thirty-eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie there and knew that he had been there now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, Well, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, Well, what man is it which said unto you, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. Well, he didn't know who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. So John now gives us in chapters 5 and 6 a record of these things that Jesus does, and he portrays then in chapter 5, after this miracle, the hostility then that just increases against Jesus. They want to kill him, and it continues to the cross. He gives us the inception of it here. He had been in the temple before. He had spoken to the woman of the well, Nicodemus. He had healed the uh, the, the uh, nobleman's son. But now he does something deliberately in Jerusalem. So chapter 5 gives us a record of the hostility in Jerusalem. Chapter 6 then gives us the record of the hostility in Galilee. It will begin there as well. And that sets the stage to bring Jesus to the cross. John says he's picking out certain things because he wants those things to speak to us about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. We would have life through his name. He wants belief. So he takes this miracle and he puts it in front of us as a sign. It's not just a miracle. It is 
but it says something as well. That's why the rest of the chapter is given to him addressing the religious leaders, because the sign had said something. John is writing, look, he's over 90 at this point in time, average life expectancy 40 for a male in this culture. So when Jesus says to Peter in chapter 21, what is it to you if he tarries till I come? He, he's not kidding. Uh, you know, he was 90 when he enters this, the visions at Re, on, on Patmos, Revelation and so forth. So John, as an old man, is writing. The disciples are not mentioned a single time in chapter 5. Obvious by the grammar that John's an eyewitness, they were there, but that has nothing to do with the reason that John is writing. So it tells us here that Jesus, after the things we've read now, there was a feast of the Jews in Jerusalem, and he went up to the feast. Obviously, it's a mandatory feast. There was hostility there. He wouldn't have gone unless it was one of the mandatory feasts. Some say it was Purim. It wasn't Purim. And uh, it seems we can follow him through three Passovers. Most scholars feel this is probably tabernacles. But he goes up to Jerusalem on this feast. It's not relative to the point. John says, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five Porches. It's interesting because John is writing, Jerusalem has been leveled. It's ruined. It's destroyed. And yet he says there is. And it isn't just him reminiscing. It seems that this place, if, if when you go to Israel with us, the next time we go, and I can say it to you today, I've been there 29 times, it, there is at the Sheep Gate a pool called Bethesda. Still there. When we go to Israel, Bethesda means house of mercy, the name of those pools. We come in through the Sheep Gate on the north end of Jerusalem. It's called the Sheep Gate. They come there and they, they, there's a sheep market there. They sell their sheep. You see the shepherds pull in, some of them in their Mercedes. They open the back door and drag all these sheep out. Then they open the trunk and pull out the ones that are sweating in there, get them out. There's still a sheep market there. It's called the Sheep Gate. It's also called the Lion's Gate because Suleiman, the Magnificent, came in there and he considered himself a lion. They called it the Lion's Gate. They called St. Stephen's Gate because he was martyred outside of that gate. But when we go in through the Sheep Gate, then there's a portico on our right-hand side with doors. And when you go in there, there is St. Anne's Cathedral and there is excavated the Pool of Bethesda where this miracle took place. Um... When you go, it's one of the highlights of the trip to me is this Crusader Cathedral built in the 11th century, but on a 5th century foundation. And the, the structure is it, it, the, the top of the cathedral goes out and then comes back in again, and it makes it resonate. So we'll go in there and sing the songs we sing in the sanctuary, and everybody will stop, and you hear it. It's still singing. It's still going. It's just remarkable. And then there's always some other church that wants to get in. We're having a great time. It's like, oh, all right. You know, just, and you let them in. And then we've been there before. They started singing the same songs we were singing. We said, who are you guys? They said, Calvary Chapel Phoenix. We all went back in again, you know. It's just worship. But you go there today, and you can see the pools now. There were two pools adjacent to one another in John's day. Uh, there were these five porticos, these roofs on pillars. And uh, it seems that... 
the sick folk had gathered there, which meant normally the Pharisees wouldn't go and so forth, because listen, they considered sickness a judgment from God. Uh, One of the rabbis in this time said, death comes only by sin and sickness comes only by iniquity. When we get to the ninth chapter and Jesus is going to heal the blind man, his disciples say to him, who sinned? This man or his parents? Because they believe in prenatal sin. Did this man sin or his parents sin? And Jesus said, no, this is for the glory of God. So all of these people are laying around this portico, this house of mercy. Verse 3 says, in these lay a great multitude. Please notice that because Jesus is going to pick out one man. There lay a great multitude of impotent folk, which would include everybody in the next three uh, nouns, adjectives that he gives there. Impotent means they're powerless. Some of those are blind. They're sightless. That's why they're powerless. Powerless. Some of them are halt. They're crippled. Some of them are withered. Atrophy is set in and their bodies withered away. And they're waiting for the moving of the water. Now, I'm not sure what translation you have. Verse 4 says in the King James, New King James, New American Standard, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first went down after the troubling of the water and stepped in was made whole. And that's our word as we go through this section. Whole. They were made whole of whatsoever disease they had. Six times it's going to use the word whole in these verses up to verse 15. Whole means to be, it means to be sound, it means to be healthy, it's used once of the whole counsel of God. The idea is whole means to be sound mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, to be made whole. And the interesting thing it says, when the angels stirred the waters, that the first one down into the waters was made whole, So some, it's a manuscript argument here, so I'll bore you for one second. Some say it's not in the most ancient manuscripts. And if you have a gloss in your Bible that says not in the original manuscripts, throw that out. Nobody's ever seen one, nobody has one. Um, Verse 7 is in every manuscript where it says, The impotent man answered and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Verse 4, people struggle with it because it says an angel went down into the pool, stirred the waters, and then the first one in was made whole. It's in Alexandrinus, which is one of the oldest manuscripts. It is in um, Apriai, um, I always get it wrong, Rescriptus, which is one of the five oldest Um I have a copy of the Peshitta at home, a a translation of the Aramaic Bible from the first century. It's in there. It's in the Geneva Bible, which had all these extra manuscripts that came in to Geneva before they did the translation from Byzantium that they never had before. It's in the Geneva Bible. It's in Tyndale's Triumph, his original. I have one of those at home. It's quoted by Tatian in 175, Didymus in 397, Tertullian in 200, Chrysostom in 390. The idea is you don't just throw it out the window. 
it can be valid either way. But my question as I look at the text is, why would somebody lay around for years if nothing happened there? You know, who's going to lay there for years? They, you get there, they tell you, okay, be ready, because uh, once a year or whenever, an angel comes down and stirs the water, and then the first one who steps in is made whole. They're not just don't get better, start to mend. There seems to be something miraculous. And why would anybody lay there for years if that wasn't going on? So, well, people say, well, it's a mineral spring. You know, there's mineral, first of all, there ain't no springs on that end of Jerusalem. I've been there too many times. And second of all, any of you guys ever been in a mineral, mineral spring? Okay. You smell, I could, thought I could smell you from here. But you, <laughs> you, take, you take somebody who's been crippled for 38 years and put them in a mineral spring, they don't get better. Okay, so it's, it's not minerals bubbling up. People try to make all kinds of excuses. I think that this is valid text. And it just says, an angel went down a certain season into the pool, troubled the water, whosoever then, if it was written in the Old Testament, nobody would have a problem with it, because angels were allowed to do stuff there, I think. He went down troubling the water, whoever stepped in first was made whole from whatsoever disease he had. Now, this is, we're getting to the point. And a certain man, unnamed, was there, one of a multitude, which had an infirmity, it's related to sin somehow. So Jesus picks out one unnamed man in a multitude that was a sinner. A certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. Uh, infirmity is asthenia, steno, strength. The prefix A means no strength. He was without strength. We have it today. It's called neuroasthenia. The idea is your mind works, but it can't connect to anything in your body, none of your muscles, nothing. So someone who is in that condition for 38 years, and I called one of our docs to talk to him last night just to go over this again. Uh, what happens is your hands of, over the years, they, all of your muscles and ligaments shrink and they tighten up because you're not using them. So somebody for 38 years is crippled, their hands are like this, they can't use their fingers, they can't do anything, they can move their arms a bit, all of their toes, their feet are actually curled up, they can't use their legs. This guy's been like this for 38 years. When Jesus was born, when the nativity happened, he was already eight years into his disease. When Jesus comes 12 years old to the temple in Luke, he's already been into his disease for over 12 years. I'm sorry, 26 years. So th this man's been in this before Christ was born and then into the ministry of his life. And we're going to see Jesus comes and speaks to him. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He tells us that here. I didn't know who it was. I'm sure all these crippled folk, a multitude, had heard about Jesus. Word spreads on that crowd. And Jesus had been in the temple in Jerusalem and done miracles. Uh, Nicodemus came and said, nobody can do all these miracles unless God is with them. So no doubt that had spread through this crowd but they didn't know who he was, and because they were all, you know, put into the, the picture of sinners, they didn't expect him to come there, no doubt. 
So this man is in this situation for 38 years. It says, when Jesus saw him out of the multitude, he sees this one man lie and knew. Jesus knew that he had been there a long time in the case of things. Jesus knew. He knew Nathaniel. When Nathaniel came, oh, you were sitting under the fig tree. He knew. He knew the woman at the well. Yeah, you're not married. You have five husbands, and the guy you're with now ain't your husband. Jesus knew. If Peter, go down and throw in your, uh, the hook, and you'll pull up a fish with a coin in his mouth. You know, Jesus knew over and over again. You go over in the village across there, you're going to find a donkey tied. Get me the donkey. When somebody says, what are you doing? You say, the Lord has need. Jesus knew. He knew the man. He knew his mental condition. He knew his physical condition. He knew his history. He knew that through some sin or another, he ended up in this situation. He knew the man. Was he the worst case there? Was he just so gnarled up? Was he worse than the others? We don't know. Jesus picks the man for the Pharisees and for you and I. There's a reason this particular unnamed individual is chosen. He says he knows his case. He's been there many years. We're not sure at Bethesda for many years, but at least years, because he said no one's ever here to help me down and put me in when the waters move. And Jesus says to him, now there's going to be three things Jesus says. One's a question, one's a command, and the other one's a warning. First he says, wilt thou be made whole? Will you, will you, will, do you want? Do you desire to be made whole? It's not asking about his willpower, his own ability. He said, is it in there? Is it in there? Do you desire? And look, Jesus has been asking this question to multitudes for 2,000 years. This multitude there, crippled, paralyzed, it's a picture of the world that we live in. How many of us were paralyzed? Drugs, sin, sexual activity, paralyzed by one thing or another, and Jesus came to us. And maybe we didn't even know it was him when he first came. We heard, do you want to be? You want to be whole? What do you really want? You want more of this? You want more of the slop? You want more emptiness? You want more drugs? You want more destruction in your family? What do you want? And in our conscience, in our mind, we're thinking, I'd love to be whole. I'd love to. Jesus asked him. He doesn't know who Jesus is. If he knew Jesus was the Jesus he had been hearing about, he'd said, yeah, man, or something like that. (laughs) Wilt thou be made whole? What's your desire? What do you really want? Question for us today. The impotent man doesn't know who he is, so he gives him his whole, he sings a blues song here. He gives him the whole excuse, this is why I am the way I am, and this is what needs to happen, and this is what my hardship is. And it's interesting, the the impotent man answered him, sir, which is just basically that, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, and while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. So he's been there for a while. He's seen this more than once. Interesting picture. The guy is crippled, shriveled, withered. He hears, what's your desire? What do you want? Do you want to be whole? And his answer is, look, I'm helpless. 
I'm hopeless. Been like this for 30 years. Ain't going to change. 38 years. Ain't going to change. So many people live like that. In their minds, they think, I'm going to get in that pool someday. I can get in this year. I'm going to get in that pool someday. They live their whole life. I'm going to get in there someday, you know. But the truth is, for so many of us, this, this, this person says to Jesus, I have no man to help me. Not a friend. Not a son. Not a daughter. Not a wife. Not a father. Not a mother. The loneliness of this man is unbelievable. I have no man. He's been sick for 38 years. That's a lifetime if the average life expectancy is 40 years. No doubt his parents are gone. Did anybody care for him when he was a kid? All of that's passed away. He's at the end of his life. He's laying there. So sad. You know, sometimes somebody's at the end. They're in those last years, 80 years, whatever it may be, and they they don't have anybody. Mom and dad are gone. You know, spouse may be gone. Kids not around. Whatever it might be. He says, I don't have anybody to help me. I lay here. And every time I try to get in, you know, I don't know if he can crawl on his elbows. He says, somebody beats me in. I can't get a break. I can never get in. I'm thinking, if I was you, why don't you just sleep right on the edge of the thing there? And if you heard the angels stir the water, you could roll right in. Of course, if it wasn't the angel, then you'd drown because you can't, you know. I got nobody. Every time somebody steps in before me, got no help, got no way in, can't do this. Now, the interesting thing is Jesus is going to say to him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Jesus doesn't demand faith. It isn't like God's mercy can't be expressed because this guy doesn't believe. Look, faith ministries around us today, healing ministries, we hear too often. Yeah, you know, I, I, I prayed, but... But they didn't have faith to be healed, you know. I have one guy on the West Coast, was a friend, sad to say. But he said, yeah, I said, I felt God's healing power go through me. And because the person didn't have faith to be healed, it bounced back and almost knocked me down. Look, if you want to know how Jesus heals, don't listen to a nut. Watch Jesus. He comes to a multitude of halt and lame and blind and he heals one and moves on he heals one how many times did he walk past the crippled man at the gate beautiful knowing no Peter and John are going to get this one he heals one and that one doesn't have faith look Jesus rode Jairus' daughter from the dead she didn't have faith Jesus rode Lazarus from the dead. He didn't have faith. His sisters didn't have faith. The Lord didn't get here on time. In, in Matthew's gospel, they let, these guys let down their friend who's crippled on a litter through the roof. It's a different word for bed there, but they let him down, and it says Jesus saw their faith, not the guy on the litter. We, we want to take the miraculous 
and categorize it all the time. But like my son always says, the master does what he pleases. I will have mercy. A friend of mine on the West Coast wrote this song, I'll have mercy on who I want and who I don't, I do not. It was a long title for a song, but <laughs> stuck in my mind. He said, I have anybody to help me down. And then, you know, then somebody steps in before me at the last minute. And then Jesus says to him, look, rise. Three things. Take up thy bed and walk. Jesus says that to the guy, and the guy doesn't have a single thought about disobeying the person that's talking to him. There's something in the person of Jesus, in his presence, in his power, in his love that enables. Just imagine this guy's gnarled up 38 years and Jesus says to him, I get nobody to help me. Jesus says, rise. One word, rise. Take up thy bed, eritus imperative, once and for all. Let it be accomplished. And then walk. And it's in the Greek, it's walk around. It's an imperfect, you know, start walking around. He wants everybody to know and everybody to see. But the beginning of it is simply rise. You understand? When he says that, you know, talked to the doc last night from church, and he said, look, a week in the hospital on a bed, you can't move. You're in a hospital bed, they say three weeks to a month rehab after that. So if this guy's been crippled 38 years, it's at least 150 years of rehab. <laughs> it says the next verse, he, he immediately gets up. You understand, the first thing that has to happen, the doctor told me all of those muscles and tendons that have shrunk and tightened up, first of all, they all have to stretch out then new muscle has to instantaneously be produced. Blood flow has to instantaneously be produced. Neuropathways have to open up that are there, that haven't been doing anything. What has to happen for a man who's been shriveled up and crippled for 38 years? What has to happen is Jesus has to say, rise. And if you're not here, if you're, you're not saved, you're here today, you've never come to Christ. And I don't know why you would be here, but if you're here and you've been paralyzed, look, 30 years, please take note, it's never too late for Jesus. 38 years was a lifetime, never too late for Jesus. I watched my mom get saved at 68, my dad get saved at 78. It's never too late for Jesus. Paralyzed until then. And he speaks to a human heart and he says, Rise, rise. Immediately, the guy gets up. He takes up his bed, which is a mattress made of straw. You could roll up. He didn't need to lay there anymore. And he begins to walk around. He begins to walk. People notice that in our lives, too. They just, there's a lot of people are going to be like the Pharisees. They get mad. They can't believe now we're walking around talking about Jesus, you know, because we didn't go to their church. We didn't join their denomination. We broke their rules. You know, there are enough people that are angry. 
when something wonderful happens in your life. But Jesus says, rise. Take up thy bed and walk. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Immediately. Study that word through the New Testament. In the Greek, it means immediately. (laughs) Immediately, the man was made whole. Physically, emotionally, mentally, the man is made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. That's where Jesus is steering this whole thing. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them and said, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up my bed and walk. Am I supposed to say, No, it's the Sabbath? I've been waiting for 38 years. You're telling me this is the wrong day? Cut me a break. And the guy that told me to get up, I got up, said, Take your bed and go on. He said he was able to do what none of you have been able to do for 38 years with your religiosity. This one. Who told you to do that? It's the Sabbath. You know, they're, they're, they're more concerned with the guy carrying his bed, his burden, than the burden God lifted off the man. And the crazy thing is in the law, in their traditions, it's said you can on the Sabbath you can carry a man on a litter, but you can't carry a litter without a man on it. <laughs> uh, don't you love religious people? <laughs> what man is it that said to you, and they don't say what man is it that made you whole? They say, What man is it that said, Take up thy bed and walk? Now, by the way. He didn't break the law. They said it's not lawful. It was their dogma. It wasn't the law. The law of Moses said, you know, God did the creation six days, and on the seventh day he rested from his work. There was a man killed in the Old Testament because he he was gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Nehemiah uh, tells us that he was frustrated when he got to Jerusalem because they were doing business, and they were in the market, merchandise. What the law forbids is working for self-gain on the Sabbath day. Merchandise, working in labor, to do any of those things for private gain, that's breaking. If there's nothing in the law that says if you're crippled and you get healed by the Messiah, you can't pick up your bed and walk. There's none of, That's not breaking the law. There's none of that. But of course, by this day, and, and finally then into the Talmud, they would say there were 39 different ways of breaking the Sabbath. And in each of those 39 categories, there were 39 different ways to do that. And they had made it this burden. They had made it unbearable. And, and they're angry now because Jesus is messing with their position. They asked him, who told you to take up your bed and walk? And he that was healed didn't know who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. The Lord retracted himself. He moved. There was a multitude there, it says. 
he had left, the multitude being there. But look at verse 14. But afterward, it says, Jesus findeth him. He knew where he was. The idea is he came to him in the temple. Is that wonderful? Where else would you expect to find him? You're crippled for 38 years and gnarled up. And in an instant, you're made completely whole. Where do you go? He didn't know where to find Jesus, but he knew where to find God. He knew where to offer praise. He knew where to said, say, I'm thank, thankful. He knew where to worship. He went to the temple. Look, I was saved after being crippled for 22 years. How many of us get saved, you know? And if you're listening online, where are you today? Jesus found him in the temple. He didn't find him at Starbucks. He didn't find him in the movies. He didn't find him fishing on Sunday morning. He didn't find him bowling or golfing. He found him in the temple. You know, sometimes we lose our first love. We first get saved. We first get cured of that being crippled. We're so overwhelmed. All we want to do is we want to worship. We want to be with God's people. We want to study the scripture. And then in time, there's this process where we can cool. Jesus goes to the temple. Maybe this was the first guy's first time in the temple. At least in 38 years, because they taught it was because of sin that you were crippled. And it could be, you know, it tells us Jeroboam, when the prophet was there, he went to reach out his hand to curse the prophet, and his hand withered away. It was because of sin. Ahab, Elijah said to him, go tell your master he's going to die because he's been an idolater. He's laying on his bed. He ain't coming off his bed anymore. There are enough of those in the Old Testament. But everyone is sick because of sin. Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden has affected the whole planet. But everyone who's sick is not sick because of personal sin in their lives. Now, God can chasten someone if he wants to. But it's wrong to look at somebody who's ill and say, this is because of something you've done. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. He went and found him in the temple, and he says unto him, Behold, consider this. Now, Jesus wants to heal his body and his soul. Behold, you need to think about this. Thou art made whole... Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. So, very interesting. You've been made whole. The tenses are, don't continue in sin as a lifestyle. Now, don't step back into what got you in the mess in the first place. Lest you end up in a worse case. What could be worse than 38 years being crippled? The guy ain't got 38 more years to live. The only thing the Lord can be talking about is, you know, you don't want to be lost. 38 years of being crippled doesn't compare to eternal fire. Don't go on now and live in sin. And I'm sure the man didn't. He says, behold, thou art made whole. Don't be continuing habitually in sin, lest the worst thing come upon thee. And the man departed and told the Jews... Now, people think he's diamond him out. He's not. <clears throat> he went and told the Jews it was Jesus which made him whole. Not which told him to take up his bed and walk, but that had made him whole. 
Therefore, did the Jews persecute Jesus? They sought to kill him. Evidently, it's okay to slay the Messiah on the Sabbath, but not to carry your bed. They sought to slay him because he had done these things. You know, you look at it and you think, I think, how many times, you know, after this, when the guy was in the temple or just in, in the side of the hill somewhere, say, Lord, I am so thankful I never made it into that stupid pool. I am so thankful that I don't have to live thinking some angel stirred water straightened me out. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful I get to look into your face and hear you say, rise. How many times at the mandatory feasts when he knew Christ would come up, did he look for him? Did he encounter him again? Was he there on Palm Sunday, waving a palm branches, screaming Hosanna as Jesus came in? Was he in the temple courts when Christ had the contest with the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees for a number of days? Was he part of the 500, Paul says, saw the Lord risen? After his resurrection, I wouldn't doubt it. Was he one of the 120 in the upper room? Was he a man that quite often then went back to those pools and shared his faith with people maybe he knew for a long time that were there? Did he bring any of those blind people or any that were there that were infirm to Jesus before he was crucified? You know, sometimes people get saved out of a situation and it leaves them with a huge heart for the people that are in the situation they have been in, that are lost. I don't know, but this sets the stage now for the rest of the chapter. There was a greater paralysis behind the scenes and that was these legalistic Pharisees that had destroyed the Old Testament scripture for their own dogma and their own rules and regulations. And Jesus came to set them free from that. There was no more observant Jew than Jesus Christ. He's a Jewish Messiah. We have a Jewish Savior. And he never broke the law. But he recognized what the law was and who it was from. And the law wasn't given For us to keep, if man could have kept the law, the sacrificial system wouldn't have had to have been given immediately after the Ten Commandments were given. Paul tells us that law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Makes us realize I'm crippled. I can't get over this on my own. I used to think I'm going to get in that pool someday, but I ain't, I ain't going to get in the pool. And at this point, I'm miserable. I have no friend, I have no kids, I have no wife, I have no parents. I got nobody. And I'm completely helpless. And it's been 38 years, been way too long. Nobody's ever going to bust me out of this. You just have to listen close. Because maybe in your heart you're hearing... What do you want anyway? Maybe you're asking yourself, what the heck do you want anyway? 
what, is, what do you desire? What do you want? That's what Jesus said to this man. Do you desire to be whole? Every tortured person does somewhere deep inside. What you have to do is listen for the next thing. That's the command. Just listen. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. Doesn't matter what the church says. Listen. If you don't know Christ, listen. And you will hear, rise. Rise. Take up thy bed and walk. And new life comes. What was paralyzed comes to life. What couldn't have moved on its own is set free. And then you'll hear the third thing. Consider this now. You've been made whole. Don't continue living in sin. You've been set free. You've been emancipated. The world out there that's lost doesn't need to hear from a Christian who's still living in sin. What kind of freedom is that? What kind of emancipation is that? That world out there that's been crippled for 38 years wants to hear from someone who used to be crippled, who ain't crippled anymore, who's been set free. And that's your testimony. And he says it to us. Look, you're whole. You've been made whole. Don't live like you used to live now. It ends up to be a greater catastrophe in the long run. But you and I have the freedom to sit and think, you know, I, I don't regret anything. It was in those circumstances that he came to me, that he revealed himself. Thank you, Lord, I never got into that stupid pool and thought it was something else making me better. Thank you, Lord. The scripture's different to me now than it was before. You said rise. Thank you, Lord. I'm not trying to keep the law anymore. Thank you, Lord. I'm not afraid to share your healing and loving power with my broken friends all around me. Did he go back to that pool of Bethesda from time to time just to sit and to pray? To look at the multitude that was there. Say, Lord, you saved me out of this. You set me free. I'm going to have the musicians come and and let me say this. Rise. Come on, it's part of the sermon. Rise. <laughs> we'll, we'll sing this last song together. If you don't know Christ today, forget about Calvary Chapel, forget about religion have you been paralyzed for years? Are you stuck in drugs? You're stuck in something. You're stuck in fentanyl. You're stuck in sexual sin. You're stuck in seeking after money. Are you stuck in your own pride? Have you ruined your family? You're paralyzed. He'll set you free today. He'll set you free. Jesus said, come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He can give rest to our soul. Are you tortured inside? You can act cool and fool all of your friends, but when you put your head down on your pillow at night, what are you dealing with? Suicidal thoughts? Emptiness? I ain't ever going to get it together. He loves you. He died for you. He took your place and was crippled in your place for 38 years, for 100 years, for 1,000 years, for a million years. He entered into our sin and bore it eternally. 
so that he can say to you today, rise. I love you. Rise. So if you've never come to Christ, as we sing this last song and you want to be saved, we ask you to come. Stand down here. A friend, if they came with you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go with you. Come down. We want to give you a Bible, some literature to read. But Jesus in John's Gospel is going to say, if you're willing to confess me before men, take that public stand. I'll confess you before my Father and all of the angels in heaven. If you're not ashamed to own me, I won't be ashamed to own you. You come. You come as we worship. I'm going to pray. The rest of us, let's lift our hearts. And if you've never come to Christ, you come today. Father, I know you've overheard. Your word says you're the one who adds to the church daily such as should be saved, Lord. And it's happening seven days a week all around the world, Lord. If if it's to happen here this morning, we trust you to do that. We put it, Lord, in your hands. You know those here that are broken. You walked and you saw that one man in a multitude and you knew. And, Lord, you see individuals in this multitude and you know. Would you call, Lord, this morning your son, your daughter, to your side, to your arms, Lord. Would you do your saving work today? Would you grant, Lord, by your spirit and by your grace, repentance, that people would turn from their paralysis and their sin and turn to you, Lord. And for all of us, Lord, let us take these things home with us, Lord. Let us sit with them. Let us remember and realize what you've done for us, Lord. We trust you, Lord to sow the seed into our hearts and let it bring forth 30, 60, and 100-fold, Lord. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.